It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Francesca Schuler, CEO of InShape Health Clubs. Francesca is passionate about growth and delivering results by building teams, brands, and businesses with signature cultures and diverse leadership teams. She joined InShape as CMO in 2015, was promoted to COO in 2017, before assuming her role as CEO in 2018. Prior to joining InShape, Francesca was a CMO of BevMo, a specialty beverage retailer located on the West Coast. She owned BevMo from Treasury Wine Estates Americas, where she was CMO, managing a wine portfolio of over 50 brands. Early in her career, she held several marketing and sales positions at the E&J Gallo Winery. Francesca was named the 2019 Women Leader of the Year by IHRSA, one of 2014 SF Business Times Most Influential Women in Business, and was awarded the 2013 Marketers That Matter Award for Customer Engagement. She holds an MBA from Morton and a BA from Brown University, where she also rode crew. Francesca is Chilean-American, bilingual in Spanish and English, and loves to travel with her husband, Eric, and their children, Aria and Will. Francesca Schuler, welcome into the corner office. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Brant. It's great to have you here. I know we spoke about a month or so ago, and you know California was just in the process, as I recall, of opening up um, due to the pandemic. Recording this in the first week of April, this is probably going to be a little bit later when it's released. But let's just kind of start up with how are you doing? How are your colleagues and family, and and how is uh, you know things going at In Shape Health, given you know all the restrictions you've been operating under this last year. Well, it's been, uh, it has been a year, that is for sure. Uh, that's the best way I can describe it. So I'll yeah. start with the easy part. I feel very fortunate that my, you know, personal life, my family, yeah. I have two kids, um, yeah. everyone's doing fine, you know. Anxious. Kids are back at school yet or are they still at home? One of my high schooler is back. My son yeah. is back on campus and right. just started sports. My daughter yeah. is a junior in college. She is not back on campus yet, unfortunately, right. Right. but yeah living in LA, but they're doing fine. And, and, you know, fortunately have survived this year with a good sense of humor intact, which I think is what matters. <laughs> That's a very important ingredient to success. Right? It is. It is. Uh, and from a, you know, work standpoint, obviously the fitness industry has been yeah. 
uh, hit incredibly hard this past year for a variety of reasons. Uh, California in particular has been the most stringent for our industry and we're 100% based in California. So we are reopening. We're in the process of reopening, but we still have several counties where we are not allowed to operate yet. So uh, we are not fully open yet. So it's been over a year with no revenue at most of our clubs, which has been... um, a journey. I'll leave yeah. it at that. A journey. <laughs> a journey, indeed. And you were doing some outside activities, as I recall. Is that still going on? I think most of that was free, if I recall, kind of a sampling exercise. But are you still doing the tented types of things in different parts of the uh, different parts of the state? We are. We're still yeah. keeping our outdoor offering at a lot of our clubs, and and it That's is great. still a membership dues. Um, we've have essentially almost a full. Uh, club outside and got it, got it. plan to keep it because for many they're really enjoying the outdoor experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we will continue to offer that as we open slowly open That's indoors awesome. as well. Yeah, some new modeling and new, new direction. Well, we'll Correct. we'll get to it a little bit more detail as we get through the podcast. But let's start about you and your early years. You know, where did you grow up, Francesca, and what was your early family life like? So I uh, grew up primarily in Washington D.C. Um, okay. I am half Chilean, so my mom oh. is from Chile and. All of her family and all my cousins are still there. Um, she awesome. met my dad and moved to the U.S. Yeah. Uh, my dad is from uh, or was from a very small town in Illinois, very rural area. So right. I had a bicultural upbringing, which nice. was great. Um, Bilingual as well. Mom spoke Spanish to you. Uh, yep. On your way yep. Up. Yeah. Bilingual. Cool. So spoke yeah. both and had a steady stream of, um, you know, family from Chile as well as uh, U.S. family, you know, in and out of our house growing up, which right. I think was a great, great experience. Feel really fortunate. So, grew up primarily in D.C. Um, in Georgetown, and then did brothers spend... and sisters, a uh, uh, single kid. What was your family? Uh, I'm the oldest of three girls. Oldest of three. Oh my gosh! Wow. Oldest great. of three girls. So yeah. I have two younger yeah. sisters who uh, one now lives on the West Coast, uh, and the other one has stayed in Washington. So. Awesome. Uh, it was great. And then was fortunate enough in high school, was able to, um, my family, my mom actually got a great job in Paris. So we moved as a family oh. to Paris for a few years, which was, wow. again, a great experience. I went to a French public school, so suffered through not knowing French and slowly <laughs> learning French, which was definitely um, built some resilience, I would have yeah. to say. Uh, but also, you know, it really gives you a global perspective. And I Absolutely. think just- Working with, uh, or you know, being in class and going to school with lots of different cultures was a great part of my journey. I think Imagine. it helped shape my lens on the world. So, were um, you a good student in school? Did you enjoy it? Well, my parents. It was that's an interesting question. My parents, you know, came from incredibly humble backgrounds, and mm. so education was really what changed their trajectory. They both. Uh, did well in school and were got scholarships, and that really changed their trajectory. So f- right. education was it in our household. There was no room for not being a good student in our household. So yes, there was no choice but to be a good student. <laughs> I would say I uh, liked my friends probably better than the classroom, but I did well in the classroom because you know that's that's how it rolled in our household. Right. Right. Well, we know you're in the uh, in the health industry today, but you, I know you didn't start there. You had some other points of your career. But when you were growing up, was sports a big part of your life? Were there other you know extracurriculars you got involved with? Yeah, I you played sports. Um, I played basketball in high school, and then when I was in college, I rode crew. So oh, definitely cool. um, part. Yeah. You know, my sisters played sport. I wouldn't say it was the only thing. You know, we traveled a lot, um, did a lot of community service. Uh, you know, my parents were 
big on kind of giving back. And so I actually thought I was going to be a teacher. Uh, I originally Ooh. thought I was going to join the Peace Corps um, right. and then thought I was going to be a teacher and then completely switched gears and uh, decided that I wanted to um, kind of lead teams and started my career in the wine business after college. Yeah. Well, crew is a great sport. So did you do crew in high school and college or, or just at Brown? Just at Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. My daughter's a, a, a crew at, at Dartmouth. So oh, we've great. kind of done through high school and so forth. Gr great, you know, team sport and gosh, wonderful commitment, hard work, right? Yes. It's, um, I tell people, you know, I, rowing was good for me because uh, it required a lot of strength and discipline, right, but not right. a ton of, you know, eye-hand coordination. So for me, it worked out <laughs> quite well. That that sums up my capabilities, I think. <laughs> any, any entrepreneurial things you're involved with as a kid? Was that something you pursued? Uh, not really. Um, yeah. You know, I had, you know, nothing beyond a, the average lemonade stand or anything like right, that. So right. just, um, you know, we like I said, we traveled a lot. Definitely a big, voracious reader that was big in our household yeah. as well. And, um, you know, did a variety of common things, had worked, you know, growing up as well, did a lot of babysitting, delivered pizzas, et cetera. So um, right. did a lot of, you know, what I would say entry level, but quite formative roles that help help you shape how you uh, the choices you make later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you went on to Brown and then of course, Wharton after for MBA. It, it, was that a natural choice for you? Did you uh, kind of have your sights set on the Ivies or what, what led you to uh, those choices? Yeah. You know, I, I did, um, again, academics were top priority in our household. So, right. um, you know, worked hard, uh, to go to a school, uh, a good school. Brown was a great choice for me. Definitely was my first choice because it, um, it has a very open curriculum, no requirements. Yeah. It's, it's really designed for students who are self-directed and willing to explore a lot of things. So I think natural curiosity is something that, you know, I um, I have a lot of definitely was part of my upbringing. And so yeah. going to school like Brown was great because you could, you know, try a lot of things, but it wasn't like you had to take certain classes. And that sure. was very appealing to me. So yeah. um, that was a natural choice. Business school was not, you know, I, uh, my junior year, I took a semester off and spent some time in Mexico doing volunteer work. I worked nice. in Mexicali, Mexico. And as I said, was getting ready to join the Peace Corps. And then was like, mm, don't think that's for me. Then yeah. senior year, um, was going to become a teacher, then join the Gala Winery uh, yeah. and didn't plan on going to graduate school. In all honesty, it was right. not, um, you know, I liked school, didn't love it. So I wasn't like, oh, got to get an MBA. But my husband had gotten an MBA and I realized as a comparative literature major at Brown, I had zero experience <laughs> in some <laughs> fundamental things like accounting, finance, right. et cetera, right. and realized that the fastest way for me to build those capabilities would be to go to business school. So I worked for a few years and then went and then went to Wharton. Okay, so it wasn't right away. So was it after Gallo or or uh, during years at Gap? When did you actually uh, head off to Wharton? So I worked for Gallo for like a little over three years, mm -hmm. and then did a very brief stint in investment banking. I was hired by a small boutique firm mainly because I could write more than right. anything. And right. um, and that's actually where I really realized how little I knew about <laughs> finance. And so that prompted my decision to apply to business school. So yeah. went to Wharton after that. Awesome. Awesome. And then came out of that in, in Hunter Gap next, or did you stay in the investment banking uh, period for a while? I, you know, as people ask me all the time, you know, how, your career, how did it go? And I say, look, you know, career journeys, I think are 
a lot of luck, a lot of timing. I went to business school convinced I was going to be a brand manager and right. would never be a management consultant and then graduated from Wharton and became a management consultant mm. and not a brand manager. I uh, ended up joining a small strategy firm, Maricon Associates, right. because I wanted a, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And they they provided great training, both from a strategic and analytical side. I worked on a variety of clients, but spent most of it um, working with a, a large retailer which is really what gave me the interest in retail and then a CPG yeah. company. So it was from there that I went to The Gap. Awesome. Do you remember the first time you started managing people, Francesca? My uh, nine months after I joined Gallo. Yeah, so part of the reason right. I joined Gallo was, um, you know, I realized my senior year in, in college that, that that was what I was interested in, what I wanted to focus on. And so Gallo has a great management training program and you you start out as a sales rep, but then you, you know, hopefully quickly progress into management. So I. Um, uh, was a district manager, you know, kind of nine months out of undergrad and um, was pretty much have managed people ever since then and right. have learned a lot along the way. <laughs> now, this is the late 80s, early 90s. Was Ernst still involved in the business? Did you work with him at that time? Yeah. Ernest and Julia were both still involved. Yeah. I did have Ernest Gallo come and tour my market once. Probably one of the most terrifying experiences <laughs> of my life. So, <laughs> I can imagine. Gosh, I the will, stress uh, <laughs> the night before. Huh? <laughs> I will have to say, um, you know, Gala was a, it's an incredibly rigorous program. The culture yeah. has changed a ton. It's still an incredible company, but it was definitely, um, you know, very, very competitive. I was the only female manager in my division for a wow. while. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was full on pressure cooker. But, you know, I say to, to to this day, people ask, you know, how did you end up in marketing? How did you do well in marketing? I'm like, because I started out in sales. <laughs> so right. it was invaluable yeah. experience. I would yeah. recommend to anyone to do a program like that during their career. It was great. What were some of those early leadership lessons you picked up there at Gallo? Those times you were managed people? Uh, great question. Uh, I think a few things. I think one is um, that uh, there's different ways to compete. I think there's healthy competition and unhealthy competition. Mm. And um, I, look, I'm competitive, but I definitely learned that um, unhealthy competition can be quite destructive and cause right. behavior you don't want. And, and I worked for managers that had both. Uh, so I learned that pretty early on and, and definitely like a competitive environment, but focus it on clear goals and helping people develop to compete versus constant comparison. And I think right. often people create competitive cultures and um, really encourage people to compete with one another. But ultimately, you run a team. And if the team wins, the business wins. If uh, the team doesn't win, even if one individual wins, who cares? And I learned yeah. that early because I, I would say I had some best in class examples and some worst in class examples. So that was one. Uh, I think the second, the ability to manage people who are very different than you and mm. how you have to have a um, you have to listen, you have to be really humble and learn a lot from people right. um, and and not be afraid to say you don't totally know what you're doing. I mean, I was <laughs> a brand new manager. I was 20, I mean, I maybe 22. I don't know if I even turned 22. Yeah, maybe, it, probably 22. Took over a team where two of the people were like my dad's age, basically, wow. who I was managing. Wow. And then yeah. two kind of very recent college grads who were competitive and sort of hadn't really figured out the notion of team yet. And how you bring that together as a company, as a leader um, is hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I made yeah. you know a lot of mistakes along the way, but 
I think learning how to do that earlier in your career um, for me was very helpful in terms of future challenges that I faced. Yeah, yeah, and of course now in today's crisis, I you know recently read uh, your recent posting, "Practical Lessons Learned Leading Through a Crisis," and you talked about competition, how important it is to make competition c- competitors your friends, right? Yes, and kind of that shared you know camaraderie. How has that worked out for you? Has that been something that's been helpful through this time? Yeah, for sure. I'll just speak to recently in the. Um, Current, surviving the pandemic. Yeah. You know, the fitness industry, there are a lot of competitive people in the industry. Many people were former athletes. So right, I would say sure. comparatively to other categories where I've worked, it's one of the most competitive and fragmented. People don't share a ton. Everyone's really nice. So you get together and it's great, but it's not one that has um, as collaborative, exactly, yeah, as I've yeah. seen in other industries. And right, right. this year um, really, I think, taught all of us that how valuable that is. So we early on, literally kind of a month after we shut down, a few of us in California started the California Fitness Alliance. And really, yeah. it's all of our competitors together. And we we now meet weekly. And it actually kind of kicked off forming state alliances across the country. So almost every state uh-huh. has one now. It includes all operators. And it was the only way we could kind of advocate for our industry, figure out what was going on. And it's, I think, been one of the, the good things that has come out of the pandemic. And yeah. Look, I think unless you're selling something that is, you know, truly patented and if somebody else got their hands on it would completely undo your business, with the advent of the internet, transparency on almost everything is um is exists in all categories. If I want to right. figure out somebody's pricing, I just Google it. Do you know what right, I mean? Right. There's no state <laughs> secrets anymore. So I right. think that the notion of sort of trying to be overly competitive, um, isn't helpful. I also yeah. think that ultimately, and I say this all the time, I'm like, look, you can knock almost anything off from another company, yeah. uh, but you can't knock off their culture. And the culture That's is fine. something that you create internally as a team. And that is not something that you, you, there, there's no state secrets there. It's just choices that you make as leaders and as a team. And having that um, be your competitive advantage, I think is essential, but that doesn't mean you can't collaborate with other other operators. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you've worked with some great companies, Gap, BevMo, and of course, uh, now currently within Shape. Um, Method earlier on as well. Let's not forget about that. Um, you know, in these large companies, sometimes it's it's difficult to really kind of find the type of people that you can really learn from. You know, you're lucky mm-hmm. every now and then there's mentors that come along and kind of take you along the side. And talk to us a little bit about that and, and how that impacted your career, particularly, you know, the fact that you're a woman CEO and that's a, a still a fair, fair fairly small percentage of middle market companies, as you and I spoke about a month or so ago, but, but also maybe some of the folks, uh, you know, mentors and tormentors, right? There's also yep, people yes. that have kind of impeded <laughs> your, impeded your career. So share us a little bit of that and how, yeah. how important that was as you grew your career. So, um, you know, I have my point of view on mentorship is I think, um, in some respects, the focus on it has made it bigger than it potentially is. I, you know, mm. I view mentors as people who, who know you well and who you can go to not only to ask for advice, but who can also kind of call you out when you're kind of talking to yourself. Um, Because it's easy to get into your own head, whether with confidence or insecurity, either way, there's a lot of times as a leader, you're like, am I doing the right thing or not? Mm. And having people to run that by is really helpful. And so for me, my mentors include my husband has been an incredible mentor to me Mm. throughout my career. Um, Is he 
in the same industry? Or? Yeah, okay. completely different industry. Yeah. Definitely a business background. Um, but you know, he knows me well, and so he's yeah. someone who can, in some respects, see some things when I can't see him for myself. So really helpful. My kids, and he's I mean, not going to sugarcoat anything for you. He I is not. He, he is yeah. not. Yeah. He yeah. is yeah. not. Yeah. You know, I view my kids as my mentors because mm. a lot of times I think about you know when you make decisions around people and values in a company, you know, a lot of what I think about is like, is, you know, is this something that I have the sense of integrity that I believe matters as right. a leader and that I would want my kids to be proud of. Yeah. Um, and then I've been really fortunate to have, you know, peers, people that have worked for me, people I've worked for who along the way, um, in the moment, offer advice I can call afterwards. So, you know, I I wish the the narrative around mentorship was broader because mm. then every, I think everyone feels this pressure to find a mentor right, or be right. a mentor. Right. And I'm like, look, it, you know, you have one question, your best friend may be the person to answer it. Another question, your former boss may be the best person. Yeah. Another yeah. situation, someone who works for you might be. And so I think having the... Um, willingness to ask for help, ask questions, be open to feedback, even though sometimes it's kind of brutal um, from anybody, uh, you can widen all the people that help you be successful. And Mm. I do passionately believe that, you know, it takes a village to do almost anything and being a successful leader absolutely takes a a diverse group of people. What about the tormentors? Yes, yes. You know, I mean, you know, it, yes. it just goes out saying we've got a big female audience and, and for obvious reasons, many women, of course, are in their career earlier than, you know, where you are now today, um, you know, have sometimes been impeded, right? The, the queen bee syndrome, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Did you encounter much of that as you were growing the company? You don't need to mention any names, but I'm just curious. Yeah. No, good question. It's interesting. Um, you know, I, I get asked this question a lot about, you know, what it's been like to be a female leader. And, hmm. uh, and I... I do think a couple, and I've worked in mostly male industries with the exception of my time at The Gap. I, I would say Gap right. was a much more female-led company, but yeah. most of the industries I've worked in have been predominantly male. And where I've seen the biggest challenges is, um, as I've developed women, some with myself, uh, but seen it, is a lot of it's around confidence. And mm. I do think that um, you know what I think about is how do you help everybody, but particularly women, build the confidence to compete, not compare? And I think what right. undoes um, or makes it hard for people is people are always comparing people. You know, I should mm. be better. I'm not getting promoted here. That person did, et cetera. So finding your internal confidence to, um, to have a point of view, to not be afraid to share it. And, you know, yeah, I have definitely had moments where my gender has caused some issues, but Mm. I literally ignore it most of the time. And you kind of have to, you got to keep moving Mm -hmm. forward. And at the end of the day, results are results. So, um, and do you feel that your results were recognized? I mean, you know, again, not mentioning names, but going back to Gap, you know, some of these larger companies, um, did you feel that maybe there were times when men were advanced, even though you felt that you had at least the same, if not better performance? No, that, honestly, that Good. hasn't really happened to me as far Good. as when results do deliver. I mean, I'll, I'll share a funny story, but the reason I picked Gallo, I interviewed with a variety of management training yeah. programs, but one of the people I interviewed along the way definitely made it very clear in the interview that he did not think that I would be able to be successful because I was It's female. a very masculine culture. You know, Gallo it and, has and, that. And it's then. very different now. It's yeah, very different yeah, now. So I do right. want to yeah. put that in context because I think Gallo is an incredibly... 
um, equitable company and takes very seriously sort of the idea sure. of equality. But I did have but I think one the interview. Wine industry, the wine industry in total, right, was yes. that way. Yes, I think it it's was. evolved it too, was. but maybe even less so. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. and to your point of the tormentor, I mean, I will yeah. never forget this. This guy <laughs> told me, he, he pushed me like, you can't do this. Uh-huh. And I was like, I am going to show this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And nine months later, I, I got promoted and moved into the same office that he was working out of. And I walked into his office and I was like, I bet you never thought you'd see me here. And here I am. <laughs> I hope and he smiled. We, well, he did. And we ended up becoming um, friends and he yeah. was quite helpful to me. So, so you have to... Um, be persistent. You Persevere. have to be persistent. And and yeah. look, I think if you treat people well, if you focus on results, um, a lot of times that's what matters. Right. There are situations where that doesn't occur, but my approach is to just, you know, keep the customer in mind, keep the team in mind, keep the results in mind and push forward. Yeah. Now you've been, uh, I think in your sixth year at InShape and you actually didn't join a CEO. You came in as CMO and actually had the COO position. Did you join with a, with a possibility that you would be um, recruited to the top shop? You know, it's interesting. I, I have a big passion for the middle market. Um, yeah. I had intentionally um, stayed a CMO and really only pursued CMO opportunities when my children yeah. were younger. I just yeah. wanted the balance. I was, I loved it. Um, but when I was interviewing with the, who was the, my boss at the time, who was the CEO, but also was the founder, that was definitely a conversation we had. He's like, look, I'm yeah. not going to be in this business forever. So it wasn't like a guarantee, but right. it definitely saw that. And where the ages of my kids were, I was like, oh, this could be a, that was one of the considerations that I took as I took the job. Part of the attraction, yeah. And what attracted you to the industry? Because again, as you you know, you were retail, obviously in the wine and wine related wine retail or liquor re- retail business with Bevmo. What what attracted you to the InShape? So a couple things. Um, you know, I love for as I say, experiential businesses where you can kind of walk in and experience your business. So obviously, it checked that box. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to get out of beverage alcohol. I wanted to work w- on a product or in an industry where what you did was had a bigger impact on people than just the product mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I love InShape's positioning. Um, our focus is on being a, kind of a premium player offering a great family community club in secondary markets at a great value. And so mm-hmm. the fact that we were bringing kind of this great fitness experience to markets, which many other brands, you know, really overlooked right. um, to me was really important because I think, you know, I think, fitness and exercise are part of health. They're not part of vanity or part of performance. They do serve those purposes as well, but ultimately it's a foundation to good health and providing Mm. access to that to um, all communities was quite important. Mm. And so um, that was a a main driver for me was the industry itself and where InShape specifically played in the industry um, was one of the main reasons. Um, I love a membership business. It's great. You you get to develop really strong relationships with your members. I've done a lot of, you know, CRM um, work in my different roles. And I love the fact that it's a membership business and we can really kind of connect directly with our members, both physically as well as, you know, via email app, et cetera, and and create a relationship and help them with their journey. And tell our audience again, uh, how many different locations you're in and how many uh, current memberships, if you don't mind sharing that. So um, we don't usually share our total membership, but we have about 45 clubs throughout the central Central Valley of California. We go from Yuba City, which is north of Sacramento, down to just north of L.A., 
Um, so we have, you know, several hundred thousand memberships. Yeah. Awesome. Terrific. You know, you talked uh, as well in your LinkedIn piece about how important it was or is now during the crisis not to change your leadership style. And I thought that was very intriguing. Do, do you feel that that's still the case uh, as you now kind of proceed, hopefully through the pandemic, more people getting vaccinated, things beginning to open up and 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 have that same you know level of commitment to, to your leadership style? So I think just for a little context, um, my when I was, you know, a lot of the leadership narrative that came out during the pandemic, everyone yeah. was like, be transparent, be authentic. And my point was like, look, when you're leading <laughs> an you organization, anyway, right? well, one, exactly. <laughs> why aren't you doing that anyway? And two, when you're in a company in crisis or an industry in crisis, trying to develop a new leadership style is just not going to happen. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, you should always be trying to improve. I've, I'm always trying to be better as a leader, learn from my mistakes, learn from others. But in crisis, you're making a ton of decisions in the moment. Now, as we're emerging, you know, I, the analogy I've used internally with our company is we now have to be rebuild the muscle of how to run a company, but mm. um, we want to rebuild our muscles better, stronger, different. So this is not yeah. about going back to the way it was, but very much about we changed a lot, what's evolved and what opportunities this present. So in, I think the leadership should always develop. I think your strengths are usually going to be your strengths and your development opportunities are usually going to be your development opportunities and we try to work on them, but uh, it's hard to get rid of them completely. Um you should always evolve, but I, I definitely was frustrated with some of the non-operators during the pandemic who were sort of all of a sudden saying, yes, lead a company through crisis and change all these things. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? We're just trying to get through the day. Exactly. But, but now, I'm, you know, we're doing a lot of thinking internally ourselves and as a leadership team, you know, how do we want to evolve things now that we're reemerging and starting yeah. to reopen? Yeah. And to that point, how, you know, what do you think you'll retain in terms of leadership style coming out of the pandemic that perhaps you didn't have a lot of, or maybe didn't have that muscle as well developed pre pre COVID? Uh, let's see. I think a few things. I think the, um, I think the ability to, um, really continually test your hypotheses. Mm. And, you know, we all like to, th I'll just speak to myself. I can't speak to everybody else. I'll speak to myself. You know, I like to think of that. I'm someone who's constantly trying to think differently, look ahead, be right. prepared. Um, but you do get into, uh, you know, somewhat routines when your business is good. You just do, sure. you know, if That's things right. are working, you know, you're not going to be like, oh, let's change everything. And, and <laughs> right, I have, and right. I have worked for change junkies before. So you yeah, do have to be yeah. careful about that. But, but I do think what I, I learned through this and one of the valuable things was, you know, we took this time to make a lot of changes that were on our roadmap and we just accelerated it. And I do think sometimes you think, well, that's going to be a big initiative. Let's just delay it or spread it out. Right, and sometimes right. you just got to say, you know what, we're going to get it. We're going to set some deadlines. We're just going to do it. And so mm. I'd like to keep, I hope I keep that willingness to change when appropriate fast versus right. having it be overly methodical. Um, so that's one of the things I'd like to take with me going yeah. forward. Yeah. Um, you know, I think gratitude for who we work with, mm. hopefully I've always had, but um, look, when you go through crisis, uh, you you are harvesting all the equity you've built That's as right. a leader. You yeah. are, yeah. because it is hard and no one's staying because the job's super fun. Let me tell you, <laughs> that is not why people are staying. <laughs> no. And so, right. you know, it it has reaffirmed for me the the importance of investing in your team, 
of creating a, a culture as your key differentiator, as I said earlier, and remembering that you're only as good as the people around you. And yeah. um, you know that rationally, uh, but when you live it, it gives you a whole new sense of appreciation yeah, for that. It sure does. Yeah. How do you decide, you know, during term, times of crisis or outside of crisis, really doesn't matter, but, you know, when it's time to micromanage someone or, or stay out of the sandbox? I mean, a lot of people really freaked out at the beginning of this, right? I mean, it was really difficult. Obviously, people were fearful of their lives as they should have been. And, you know, particularly if they work in areas that were close contact. And I'm sure it affected performance uh, at your company, as many of my clients have. But, you know, how do you do that? And, you know, what is your kind of philosophy as it relates to managing people that perhaps just don't appear to be on their game? So I think the, the first thing would be to just um, take the time to think about the why. Um, mm. You know, I said a lot during this past year is we had to offer each other a lot of grace because right, right. Um, it was a very personal reaction to yeah. the pandemic. Um, right. People, you know, people have different levels of fear. People have different levels of desire for independence. Right. People have different realities in their home situation. So th this was not a situation where you could make assumptions on why or how someone was feeling or reacting yes. a certain way. And, and right. I think that ability to always assume goodwill, I hope is part of my leadership style. Mm. I definitely yeah. would say I'm sure I don't practice it as often as I should, but to assume that there's likely something else going on and it's not just because an individual is, you know, not interested, not trying, Etc. And and I've found throughout my career that that if you assume goodwill and and think mm. there's something else going on, um, that's ninety percent of the reason why someone yeah. may not be performing. And sometimes what's not going on is this just isn't good enough for them anymore. It doesn't fit right. them, or the company's outgrown them, or they've outgrown the role. And that could be one of the answers. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, get at that. Your issue is get your your answer is get at the reason before you jump in. Correct. Yeah, ask yeah. the why, because the why. I think it's easy to make assumptions that, well, they must be doing this because they're not this, this, and this. Because if <laughs> right, I were in that right. situation, this yeah, is I'd how I do that. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, reminding, um, and I look, I struggle with this in terms of, you know, making sure you give people the time to figure right. things out on their own, give them the guidance versus doing it for them. Um, you know, I do move quickly. And so I try my best to do that. But often, you know, there's times I have to remind myself, it's just like, okay, two weeks is not going to make a big difference. And <laughs> right. give these, this team member an opportunity to, with some coaching, figure it out on, on their own, because the result will be better than if you do right. it. And sure. they will be much more um, empowered and happy if you do it that way. Yeah. We talked earlier about company culture and in the competitive environment, how how important that is because you can't really copy someone else's culture. You took over from a founder, right? I believe, and and is he or she still involved in the business day to day? Yeah. So there was a CEO. They brought a CEO in for about a year, okay. a little less than a year between the founder and me, um, right. who then left the company. Um, actually, he is back. He had been on a, a board. Oh member, the founder, but we had to restructure the company and we have new ownership and our founder came back in and bought the company again, which I oh, think awesome. is cool. um, one, you know, super grateful for his confidence in the business and in yeah. the team. And uh, during a challenging time, stepping up when we needed it is um, that, in my opinion, shows integrity and leadership yeah. beyond a lot of what we saw during the pandemic. Um, and two, it's great to have him back because he knows a lot about the business and I have sure. a great relationship with him. So I'm excited. I'm, I'm yeah. really excited about our journey going forward and our, our future. What's, what's most unusual or unique about uh, InShape Health Club's company culture? 
a couple things. I think, um, you know, our, one of our core approaches to just how we lead and how we develop people is an inherent belief that there's potential in everybody and mm. you don't have to have a, an MBA or a certain resume or right. a certain set of experiences. And I think having that as our core, one of our core sort of lenses in which we look at individuals hmm. has enabled us to find talent in places that many would overlook, wow. has enabled us to accelerate people in roles they never thought that they would have. I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that I'm like, hey, I think, you know, would you be interested in doing this role? This is some of the mm. characteristics I see in you that I think you'd be great at. And they kind of look at me like I have seven heads. And, <laughs> and But, you know, fortunately have built a trusting relationship yeah. in an environment where people are like, okay, I'm going to give it a whirl. And I would say our track record is pretty high on huge success in that. Um, we definitely have kind of what I call a spider web approach to career development as well, that, you know, your progression should not be linear. It should be try something new, kind of move laterally, yeah. change functions. Um, so I think that's definitely one of our strengths as well. Um, well, it's so interesting because that's so aligned with your, your operational culture, right? You're yes. going to lesser known cities, right? Yes. You're going to places where other folks haven't been and, you know, trying not to overlook the opportunities there. In fact, thriving in those overlooked opportunities by others. Exactly. And and yeah. I think we're very member centric. I mean, at the end of the day, right. you know, we have three company objectives. The first is build the best team. The second is have the most loyal members. And the third is drive great results, but one and two drive those. And so yeah. we very much, you know, our team reflects the communities we serve. That's very important, I think, to make sure that you have yeah. a diverse group of voices at the table. Right. Um, and, and, just an inherent belief, you know, I think that's part of the the fitness industry. If you think about it in the right way, you know, being stronger um, gives you confidence. And if yeah, it gives you confidence, right. then you can do more. And uh, we, that sort of is not only just what we help our members with, but how we, how we run the company. What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire, Francesca? So we have um, four company behaviors, um, mm -hmm. which are um, be passionate about fitness. And when I say that, it is not you need to be a, you know, uber athlete. It means that you have to be passionate in the role fitness can play with people's lives. Because if you don't mm -hmm. believe that, you won't be successful in what we do. Mm -hmm. The second is to be um, go above and beyond. At the end of the day, um, someone, you know, individuals who are results driven and always try to over deliver over deliver how they lead, over deliver how they develop people, over deliver how they drive results. So go above and beyond. Mm. Um, we talk about being in the motivation business versus the fitness business. So right. be fired up is one of our um, mm. core company behaviors. And I look for that in people. People have mm. enthusiasm and passion. Um, that You can't teach that. You can't create right. that. You have That's to have right. it. Um, and the last one, which I think is the probably the most important is to be curious. I believe curiosity is um, so essential because there are definitely times that we all struggle or don't know what we're doing or get put in a role where we have to figure it out. And if you're not naturally curious and you wait to be told uh, or need the roadmap, then it, as I tell people, then I'm doing your job for you. So that's right. not going to work. And so right. I think being curious um, about the customer, being curious about the team, being curious about your role, I, to me, that's one of the... Um, driving values. Yeah. And one of the things I look for the most, um, and just, you know, someone you want to 
um, that you think adds to the team and kind of has those behaviors. And I always think about the people in my own personal life that I enjoy hanging out with as I get older. And it's the two driving characteristics are they're curious and they have a good sense of humor. (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) And a little passion every now and then helps too, right? Yes, yes, (laughs) I love it. Well, Francesca, you've been very, very uh, generous with your time. We're just about out of it. But we do ask one last question of all our guests. And, you know, that's kind of what career and life advice we give to someone maybe who has their eyes on the corner office or, you know, perhaps like you has worked for larger companies earlier in their career and has moved to the middle market. And, And I think speak to our female audience too, maybe to some of the challenges you've had and, you know, what kind of uh, tips would you give them? Yeah. Um, great question. Well, I think a few things I would say, I think, um, I'll give you a couple just quickly. I think one is, um, kind of find your purpose. Don't worry about Mm. your passion. I'm passionate about the cocktail I drank last night. I'm passionate (laughs) about the workout I'm going to do today. And I'm passionate about, you know, this podcast. So I think you can be passionate a lot of things. Um, if you can find the time to find kind of the purpose, what gives you energy, that is a really helpful thing to get clarity on early in your career. So for me, it was developing people. That is why I get out of bed every morning. And I can do that in the alcohol business, the fitness business, the fashion business, but that was what mattered to me. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure to quote, find your passion. And I think Mm. about it much more as find what gives you energy because you can then find a lot of roles where you can get that energy. So it opens up opportunities versus I think that pursuit of your perfect passion can close opportunities. So I would say that's a big one. Um, I think the second one for women, I would say lose the guilt. It is Mm. such a waste of time. And uh, look, I suffered through it, particularly as you're raising kids as a working mom. There is no right answer. So yes, you may not be the mom that's picking your kid up for school, but one day you'll be the mom that (laughs) brings all the kids to take your kid to work day. And they all matter. And I think guilt is a is a, is a wasted emotion mm. that consumes a lot of, a lot of us. And wow. if yeah. I could give advice and if I could give my younger self advice, particularly yes. at those, you know, what, look, a lot of my pivotal career moves happened when I had little babies at home. And so right. there's a lot of guilt, like, oh my God, should I be doing this? Should I not be that? Yeah. Um, and I, and I uh, the last one I would say is make choices. Um, I think, mm. you know, if you make decisions about what matters to you, then not only is that empowering, but then you don't feel like you missed out or got overlooked. You I mean, for me, I right. made choices about how much I wanted to travel, where I wanted to live, the fact that I didn't want to be a CEO at a certain level because my kids were too young still. And right. then was right. like, okay, now I'm ready. And um, I think if I think about where I was frustrated early in my career, I hadn't thought through the choices. I sort of wanted it all. And you right. can't have it all. That's just stupid <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah, and right. I think if you if you take control of your choices and say, look, I, I there's 50 million great jobs, but I want to live in California. I want to live in yeah. Northern California. And so, right. you know, I may miss certain opportunities that would have been great, but I made the choice to live here and that that was very empowering. And so um, that's another thing I would add to um, to anyone, but I think p- particularly to women as they're navigating their careers and being a working mom, um, but I would say to working dads as well. But if you make choices, then it's a choice versus like, oh, I woulda, coulda, shoulda, or right. why didn't I do right. this? Or why didn't I get that? Or, oh, that person's so much more successful than me. And look, I have friends that had much bigger jobs much sooner than I did. Hmm. And they traveled all the time. And I was like, yeah. you know what? I want to be home. That was yeah. not for me. I want to be home, not yeah. every night, but I want to be home, you know, four nights a week and have dinner with my kids. And that's what really yeah. mattered. And so I made the career choices that enabled that. And with that, you know, brings a lot of confidence. So those yeah. would sort of be my three. Awesome. 
Well, Francesca Schuler, CEO of InShape Health Cubs, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Well, really appreciate it. And if anyone wants to have further conversations, I always love to learn from others or if I sparked anything of interest. So I'm big read on- Read blog. Yes. <laughs> Check out our LinkedIn <laughs> or articles. Great stuff there. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.